Hey, Race to Rise fam. We're Rhonda and Renee, and we're back with a dose of R&R. Hey, girl. Hey, girl. And so today's episode, we want to talk about Black women and how we are not mm-hmm. your superwoman. Okay. A song. A by, <laughs> by Karen White. Kids, Google that. The song is from 1988. And, um... You know, all joking aside, since we started this podcast last you know, we have consistently talked about our journey as Black women in banking, mm-hmm. and we want to dive deeper on the notion that while Black women, we are strong, talented, and resilient, we are not superheroes. We have feelings and needs, and sometimes, believe it or not, we actually need help. A thousand percent. First of all, can we talk about why that song came out when I was three and I knew like all the words? Yeah. <laughs> like, I know like, it came out when I was six. <laughs> and you know, sometimes when I'm struggling to like, if I'm dealing with with my guy and I'm struggling, I'm just like, dude. Like, if you listen to the words of the song, it's like she says, "I'm not your superwoman. I'm not the kind of girl that you can let down and think that everything's okay." And that that relates so much to all that we've been talking about in terms of this expectation for black women, we're constantly just given the pat on the shoulder. Like you're so strong. You're so resilient. And I'm just like, do we hear that a lot more than women of other demographics? I think the answer would be yes. And we think about that in contrary or, or, or in relation, I should say to one of my, you know, favorite quotations in terms of the black woman and the, the, the positioning and the, um, perception of the black woman it's it's a Malcolm X quotation and he said the most disrespected person in America is the black woman the mm. most unprotected person in America is the black woman and the most neglected person in America is the black woman and, and I'll take that a step further and I'll say you know across the globe and so what is it about I think there's value in thinking, yes, we are superheroes in some kind of way. We get so much done, even though we are often the least observed and um, respected and, and you know, paid attention to. But at the same time, what is this expectation that we absolutely have to be strong all the time? And why can't we be perceived as ever having this or, to your point, needing help? And I think that feeds so deeply into this angry black woman stereotype that I mention all the time as well. So there's so many things to talk about today. So many questions I got. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. And I think one of the things is, uh, at least for me personally, and, and what I read in a Harvard Business Review article was that, you know, black women, we've also felt pressure to project strength in mm. a society where racism and bias haven't afforded them the same latitude to be vulnerable as white women, right? Mm. This has been observed by mental health professionals. You know, we've felt the motivation to succeed despite limited resources because you feel like, well, Harriet Tubman made it through. My mom who immigrated, you know, from Jamaica story, you know, with $40, she made it through. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like given the privileges that I've been afforded on the back of my mom who came from nothing, sending mm-hmm. me to private school and me being able to get two degrees by the time I was 22, you you start to feel like, well, I have to power through, right? Mm-hmm. And so you have this burden mm-hmm. and this sense of obligation and responsibility. But quite frankly, 
I mean, you and I talked about it. You have to work twice as hard to get half. It's not like society's like, hey, girl, I understand your struggle. But let me throw you something. <laughs> You're so right. right. That's absolutely not the case. And it's absolutely not happening. And it's a lot. It's it's a lot of pressure. And I talk about intersectionality all the time. I feel like if there was a, a dollar for every time I said intersectionality on a race to rise podcast, well, not much money would be coming from that. But you get my point. Yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot to think this constant pressure is the right word. And I think we are often so very much overlooked, especially as we're thinking about the movement and the continued movement for social justice across the world, particularly in the U.S. in light of recent events. I can talk about Breonna Taylor for days, another perfect example of being neglected. Her case is no longer trending, right? But yet- Yeah, but yeah, we're supposed to be sitting here like, oh, let's just continue to be strong. When we think about hashtag Black Lives Matter and how Black Lives Matter has started, it was started by three Black women. And even I didn't know that until about a couple of years ago when I started doing my research on it. You never hear that. You never, ever, ever hear that. Like, you know, yeah, we hear about civil rights icons like Rosa Parks, but there were so many other women that were part of the movement, but we don't hear about them either. And so it's time for that to stop and, and for us to be afforded the opportunity to be soft, to be loved, to feel affection, to feel attention, to, to, to have all that we deserve, to feel that we are valued. No, I, I agree. But sometimes I wonder, you know, is there any benefit from being a superwoman and trying to do it all? Because, you know, if I look at, the number of African-American women who are CEOs of a Fortune 500 company, I mean, that number is zero. If I look for any Black British women who are CEOs of a FTSE 100, you want to guess what that number is? Hmm. Let me guess. Is it zero, girl? It's zero. And so sometimes I'm kind of like, well, are we kind of doing this in vain? Because you know, one of my favorite quotes is by Marion Wright Edelman, who says, you cannot be what you cannot see. And so sometimes yes. I'm like, we're killing ourselves literally from overworking, taking care of everyone, moving for the culture. But where does that land us when we feel overlooked, undercompensated and exhausted and underappreciated? what's the point? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's easy for us to fall into that defeatist mode because as you've said, even if you want to, and I totally believe that with that, that quote, like you cannot be what you cannot see. And we've had this conversation many times where we've had, you know, senior black women come in and speak to us in a corporate setting. And I've had it across different firms and organizations that I've worked in where the answer has really been, well, you know, be the first, be the first. Yeah. Why can't you be the first? And yes, there, there is no one saying that you, you can't be, but what is coming with that first? And there's so much that the battles that need to be faced to get there, it's, it's a painful journey and it'll be a lonely journey. And it's not, I'm not saying that anyone should not undertake it, but it's not one that comes with clear paths or, 
promises or much support, to be honest. You know, we talk about the various ceilings. And so women historically have had the glass ceiling. Our Asian, you know, friends have had the bamboo ceiling. And Black women are known to have the concrete ceiling. If you think about glass, you can smash it. If you think about bamboo, you can cut through it. What's she going to do with concrete? Yeah, <laughs> You know what I mean? So to your point, it feels like, okay, all, all is all of this for naught? Like, will I see a Black female president in my lifetime? Will I see a Black head of, you know, these major organizations in my lifetime? And I don't think I can say that. I don't know. I don't want to be completely negative about the experience. But even if we do think about the idea of having a Black female president, I mean, look at Kamala Harris. I think the world needs to be a lot more comfortable with having a female and a woman in that seat in general first before we add that layer of intersectionality. And why is that? Yeah, no, I I mean, I agree in that, you know, I think we need to just accept that, you know, if we're really trying to level the playing field, you know, this is why we continue, we need to have allies because I think by having more allies, you can really look at the landscape and, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of tired of the one-off examples. Like there's loads of Kamala Harris's, right? There's, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, Ursula Burns, you know, she was the yep. CEO of, of Xerox. Yeah. There's loads of Ursula. Carla Harris. Yeah. You know, and so for me, I'm kind of like, but I think we have to get to the root of the situation. And look, I am always going to see the world as half full. I think, that's why we're starting the podcast is just for us to continue to have these conversations and share our thoughts and just for people to hear our perspective and the perspectives of others so that they can be more informed. And look, I do believe if I don't like the way the world is, that I have an obligation to change it and just do it one step at a time. But mm-hmm. I can tell you, having doing this for a long time, I would be lying to say, that it's not exhausting. I'd be lying to say that, you know, I haven't had my moments where, you know, we've talked about this, you know, we have to code switch. And so, yep, that's hard. Daily, daily. Code switch daily. And for those who don't know what code switch is, it basically means you have to adjust to the dominant culture, right? Mm-hmm. Dominant culture in a corporate setting. And then really when you're around your friends and family, you can be more laid back and real. And I've had conversations with people from the majority and they're like, hey, we all have to code switch. But I think it's a different level of code switch. Oh, of course, right? of course. Right? Your code switch is making sure you understand the lingo and the terminology. Yeah. Anyone who says that is doing low-key gaslighting. Let's be serious. That, that too. But there are people who think that. And I'm like, what I'm saying is I may not be able to have the luxury to say, well, I saw Drake or I saw Stormzy. And I'm just using this as loose examples because I'm sure some of the people I work with, their kids listen to Stormzy or they themselves listen to Stormzy or Drake. But what I'm saying is I may not be able to fully go into what I do with my family and friends because you just may not get it. And so then you're like, well, then I have to articulate it and then I have to explain it. So then you just try to stick to what everyone else talks about, whether it's, I don't know, I don't know the latest gossip, but Johnny Depp and his wife, Amber Heard, and and their saga. Like, you just have to go (laughs) with what people are saying as opposed to being able to talk about things that truly interest you out of fear that you're going to stand out. And, you know, if you stand out too much and there's not that many of you, 
it sometimes is unnecessary attention. Absolutely. Absolutely. We talked about, you know, I think about it all the time, the angry black woman, and this is not just in the workplace, right? This is in general, the moment you have an opinion, it's not, you don't get the same leverage and the same words that are used for other demographics. So it's not, oh, she's assertive. Oh, she's, you know, outspoken. She's bold. She's dynamic. She's thoughtful. It's she's bossy or she's angry. You know, these words have been stuck with us historically for ever and a day. Yeah. And it's just, I, I do hope that recent events will help restructure the narrative for us a bit but you know I say all the time even superheroes need their sleep right so and for me rest is a form of resistance and so I think this constant carrying of the world on our shoulders we we are not ever hardly operating from a full cup hardly are we operating from a full cup as black women you know, Zora Neale Hurston, I mentioned her so many times in a lot of our podcasts because she's one of my favorite authors of all time. And I've mentioned before as well, Black women, you know, she said Black women are the mule of the world because historically, you know, the white man would come home, dump on the white woman, the white man then on the Black man, you know, who, who was on the plantation and the Black man then come home to the Black woman. And then we have consistently be, have been um, expected to make everyone feel good, make everything work out, make everything feel better. I think back to the days of slavery when the black woman in essence really ran the entire household. She did all the cooking, the cleaning down to the nursing of the children, children that weren't hers. And so there's a historical expectation for us to be strong. And I really want to talk about that piece of of strength because there is, there's value in that word and there is um, it's complementary. But there are moments when, like, do we look at a white woman and say, oh, you're so strong? Like, unless she's been through something, like, absolutely tragic. No, we don't. That, that word doesn't, it's not the first thing that comes to mind. You might look at, you know, someone outside of the Black population, a, a, a woman, and say, you're, you know, you're, you're smart, you're funny, you're pretty. But, like, I feel like the first word when it comes to Black women is strong, strong, strong. Now, when you think about that strength, and how that then has translated like over time and to modern day, our strength and our perceived strength is actually coming at the at a cost. It's a detriment. 100%. To the extent that, you know, the mortality rate in medicine is exceptionally high for black women. Black women are less likely to have empathy when they or receive empathy, yeah. I should say, when they go into um, a medical set- setting. They are, you know, expected to have higher levels of pain. There have been yep. studies that have shown that, you know, compared to a man, if a black, if a woman goes in, but particularly a black woman goes in, if they come in and they have the same ailment and say, okay, I have a headache. You know, if a man, if you ask a man on a scale of one to 10, how bad is the headache? And they say, oh, it's a, it's a nine. It's written down as a nine. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? If a woman, not just a black one, but if a woman comes in and she goes, it's a nine, they'll be like, oh, I think she really means a seven. And then if a black woman comes in, all of a sudden that drops down to a four, like on what planet are we on? And so we consistently see that play out in so many different, different forms, right? And we also have the highest maternal mortality rate. 
and 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 you know Vanessa sorry not not Vanessa I'm thinking of the wrong person Venus Williams spoke about her experience when she you know had blood clots and pulmonary yeah, embolism Serena yeah, yeah. Williams sorry exactly um when she had blood clots and pulmonary embolism. And I think about, I even think about when I had blood clots, I remember speaking to male doctors, granted this is a little different because I was living in Hong Kong, but it was my decision ultimately to go into the hospital. I, I called in, I gave in my symptoms. I said I was having, you know, warmth in my calf, pain in my calf. I was told to go home and rest. I was Which literally told, go, and it, I would have literally died the next day had it not been for me to be like, uh, I questioned my own pain threshold because I was, in my mind, I was like, well, the doctor said I'm, I'm not feeling this pain as much as I'm feeling it. So then maybe it's not that bad. And so for every 13 white women who died during pregnancy or within a year of childbirth, there are 44 black women who die. Yep. 13 to 44? Like yeah, that's no. unreal to me. It's absolutely unreal and completely unacceptable. And so when we think about this concept of strength and being strong and this idea that we have to bear pain and, and physically bear pain, but also emotionally bear pain and baggage for others, it's a lot. No, it's totally a lot. And I mean, I was in a situation last year when literally my skin just broke out and I had to see, I mean, I was grateful that my mom was also visiting and my mom being a retired nurse, because I mean, I was, I was passed around, you know, for several years, I finally, psychologist, but I mean, if I didn't have my mom to be like, Nope, that doesn't make sense. Nope. I don't buy that. What, you know, who knows? dress properly because I would have just brushed it off and try to use over-the-counter um, mm-hmm. stuff but ultimately I had to take antibiotics and so it goes back to you know, one do we push like you did because if mm-hmm. you didn't you would have probably died yep. two do we have the resources sometimes you know we have the need but then how do you finance it how do you pay for that you know loads of people have lost their homes because they just try to get help and it's astronomical when you go to a hospital. So, you yeah. know, it's one, are you going to get the level of attention Two, if you do get the level of attention, do you have the resources to pay for it? Three, you know, I find it scary because I know nothing about science and I find it scary that, you know, you can be on a wild goose hunt because you're saying something. And if the professional is not hearing or listening to it, you know, it can go unnoticed and it can get worse. Yeah, we are. We That is absolutely positively true. It's this idea that we are expected to put on this armor. Um, and I do listen, I think there's to an extent the superwoman stereotype can be really helpful with helping us cope, you know, helping us cope with issues of discrimination and, and racism. But are we are we setting ourselves back by not kind of breaking breaking that? Yeah. Something I find really interesting, especially in the line of work I do, is when feminists, you know, with the with the feminist movement, you'll hear sometimes even men say it, but you know, as a woman, you know, you guys had feminists all, you know, feminism all along. And I'm like, oh, well, actually, sir, um, feminism wasn't created with us in mind. It yeah. wasn't. You know, if you think about it, let's think about like the suffrage movement. Let's think about voting. Uh, capabilities and voting rights. Yeah. 
Beyond Susan B. Anthony, there were women who forever had been standing not behind her, side by side yeah. with her. They were black women standing yeah. side by side by side with her, leading this movement to ensure that women had the right to vote. And when that act was passed, they still weren't able to vote because guess what? Them being black yeah. overrode their gender. Yep. And their identity and their their sexual identity, right? And so they then were not able to vote until the act was passed in the '60s that allowed them to vote. The fact that I'm even saying that, and that's like in our parents' lifetime, yeah. is is insane, right? But yeah, yeah. we have to remember that feminism was not created with Black women in mind, and it doesn't accommodate that that level of intersectionality is not given light. And so we continue to struggle across all aspects, even if we think about mass incarceration, you know, black women are more likely to have longer prison sentences for the same crimes. Yep. Why? Well, you know, hopefully now that the world is, you know, listening and there's looks, you know, hopefully there is an appreciation and the gender agenda will account more for intersectionality because I've been asked the question before, by senior people. And I always ask them, I'm like, do you want to hear the truth or do you want to hear something that makes you feel good? Um, (laughs) Because people, sometimes people don't want to hear the truth, right? Ignorance is bliss. I get that. Um, So I always want to give people the option, but the people who are willing to take take the truth, I'm like, in its current form, I don't think it accounts for intersectionality. I hope in the future it will account for it. I think gender is very safe, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone has a daughter, a goddaughter, a cousin, yep. a niece. So it's very safe. But if you look into other levels um, where there is overlaps or intersectionality, call it, I don't know if it's fully embedded in the agenda, you know? Because I agree. If, if we were, then I wouldn't have zero black female CEOs on both sides of the Atlantic. Yeah. So, you know, it is mentally taxed. You know, I feel sometimes we are trying to separate the hardship that we're facing. A lot of us are involved in our churches. We're involved in charities. We are mentors. And also Mm -hmm. you're trying to navigate in an institution that, you know, to be honest, consistently you're one of a few. Um, And so that just, that just takes a toll. And I, I mean, my question for you is like, what do you do? Like, what's your mantra that helps you remind yourself that you're not superwoman? I think just remembering that I'm human. I think remembering that I, I think defining what strength means to me. So I, I, I think we all grow up as little girls hearing this whole rhetoric around you have to be strong, be a strong black woman. And then later on realizing that that label really has less to do with us like as individuals. And so just remembering that that's there's historical context to that. I think there is beauty in strength, but I think there's also beauty in softness and in asking for help and in having moments of weakness. And I think weakness is strength. I think it's a proper form of strength. Mm. I do worry about the amount of Black women who under this burden of strength are suffering with mental health illnesses um, and just stress. We're more likely than our male counterparts to die at an earlier age, right? And so there's this kind of pent-up stress. But then I also think about 
what is it that I want from men? What is it that I want from men, both men who are allies? And also, what do I want from our Black men? Because I think mm-hmm. there's an expectation that we should have there because we are supporting the movement. We are supporting them. And so one of the first things that comes to mind for me more generally, and this is not just for men, is I talk about this before. There is a hypersexualization, a hyper-exoticism that comes with being a Black woman. And I think looking at us and recognize us as the dynamic, beautiful, beautiful, magical women that we are and not one thing is very important. Do not touch us without our permission. Uh So I think that is something that's very important for allies, people across gender, like don't invade our space without our permission. It's, It's not okay. And I think you know, you, you rarely see people go up to a black man and touch their dreadlocks. Like that would never happen. But with a black yeah. woman, the moment I have my, my hair out, it, I become a spectacle. So that's one thing. And I think more generally, it's validating our feelings. Like having us say, I'm in pain, I hurt, I am suffering, I need help. Yeah. Or cry or scream or yell. Like I want that to, to be validated. And also correcting people when they come up with stereotypes. Mm-hmm. So correcting the stereotype of you're angry or, or if you hear someone referring to us like that, especially in the re- workplace, if you're yeah. an ally and you hear someone referring to us and you know us, you know who we are, you know what we yeah. stand for. If you hear someone saying that our work product is X, Y, and Z a kind of way when you know, okay, that's not really how Rondetta Renee is. Like, let me dig into that. Defending us is really, really important. I think letting us speak is exceptionally important. Like, don't try to fill the space because you're uncomfortable. And I've I've had that happen to me, you know, with with white and black men alike. Um, So letting us speak. But I think the greatest reminder for me is just remembering that I have to keep my cup full in order to continue to have that balance of, you know, strength and softness, which is important to me because, you know, I want to be that delicate flower with the thorns that will prick the crap out of you if you mess with me. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I get it, man. Um, look, What do you do? I what are your thoughts? Couple, I think a couple of things for me is, you know, I always tell people I'm sorry, but I'm human. Mm-hmm. Um, I genuinely say that because I like to reiterate that I am human. Um, I also really, really like what Michelle Obama said in one of her interviews is that if you don't take control over your time in your life, other people will gobble it up. Ooh. And I think, you know, it's very important to kind of have boundaries and I'm working on that. Like, it's okay to say no. I think for a lot of, a lot of years earlier in my career, and honestly, more recently, I used to be a yes person, mm-hmm. um, but I realized I can't save everyone. I can't save everything. And I have to be selfish with, what's near and dear to me while still trying to represent for the culture and being the best that I can be. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the another thing is getting help, right? Like mm-hmm. I, similar to you, you know, my mom and I, as we're older, we have more open conversations. You know, I think, you know, my mom always says that, you know, she was raised to be silent and you suffer mm-hmm. in silence. But now our generation, we're very comfortable with getting help. We're very comfortable getting therapy I remember I told my mom you know a few years ago when I went to a therapist like that was hard for my mom to even understand and she's a nurse right (laughs) wow right 
you know, but I think now that, you know, with the way things are transpiring and recent events and this global pandemic, you know, my mom was like, you know what, like, I get it, you know, like, it's cool that you, your generation and the generation younger than you, you guys are being proactive in taking care of yourself. And, you know, I'm happy that, you know, we have our podcast, you know, we have other celebrities, you know, like Taraji P. You know, who founded a nonprofit that's focused on mental health to open up these conversations. There's books, you know, I've read so many books on mental health, on mindfulness, on meditation, because, you know, I don't have all the answers. My friends don't have all the answers. I know that this is an exercise. The same way mm-hmm. we go to the gym three to five times a week is the same thing we have to do. We genuinely, I think what helps me is I learn to accept what I can and cannot control. And I think for a long time, I used to, and I think that's the recipe for failure is one, trying to please everyone. It's not going to work. And two, trying things that change. So, you know, I find interesting in a corporate setting is, you know, for Black women, historically, you're being measured not only on your work, but also on intangibles, things that you yeah. can't see, right? And so for a long time, I had to accept, like, I will do the best with what my remit is, and I will mm-hmm. measure how am I doing with my remit. But I also accept things that are subjective, like, you can't do that. And I think, you know, majority of us, we don't tend to work directly with revenue. Revenue is very straightforward, right? This is your mandate. Yeah. When you're not close to a revenue P&L, profit and loss number, it gets to someone else's opinion. And I think, you know, I talk to my mentees and I tell them, it's probably because I'm in my, my mid to late 30s now. So you get, the more you realize, what can you control? You can only control how you respond to a situation. You can always control what you're going to put your energy on. And that took years of therapy. That took years of reading. That took years of praying. That took years of having honest dialogue with people who are willing to act Mm -hmm. in real time. And so I hope that people will see that we're just trying to have these real conversations because I don't know about you, but I feel like in the past, I've heard a lot of stories from senior people where it just sounds like a recipe book. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, but that's not life, right? Mm-hmm. Like you have your ups and downs. You have moments when you're soaring. You have moments when you fall. So those are the things that keep me going. It's a constant investment in my mental health. And, you know, to that point, and, and this will be my final point, because I know we're going to to wind down and we can we love this topic. We could talk about this topic forever. But I just wanted to share something exactly to that point um, by Shirley McLennan. And she's a freelance writer and editor. And she did a piece last September for the Huffington Post. And it was called Let's End the Strong Black Woman Stereotype. And she actually said, Renee, she actually said, um, we're constantly expected to present to the world a superhuman-like strength when in reality our game face is no more indicative of our authentic self as anyone else's. And it's not just about our mental health. It's also about the long-held perception of Black women as less nurturing and somehow less mm-hmm. feminine than white women and the everyday aggressions and microaggressions that we face as a result of this misperception. 
She then says, yes, we're surviving in spite of the growing swell of racism. And mind you, she said this in September. So this was months ago, almost a year ago. So yes, we're surviving in spite of the growing swell of racism that's becoming a worrying feature of Britain because she's based here in the UK, other European Mm -hmm. cities and the US amidst a surge of nationalism and white supremacy. Again, this was last year this time, which is so, Mm -hmm. so sad. She said, and yes, being a black woman also takes a whole lot of strength. But we're multidimensional beings, human, you may say. We're emotional, we cry, we're vulnerable, and sometimes we're weak. Although this often goes unnoticed by the older, the, the wider world. Mm-hmm. So next time you're bursting with admiration for a black woman who's basically just getting on with the business of living, same as the next person, please stop for a moment before you spew out the well-worn adage and fawn over our supposed Samson-esque strength. It's actually more irritating and more harmful than you realize. Wow. Yep. That's the way to end it. So look, sisters who are part of the culture, it's okay to get some help and take off your cape. Allies, now you know by saying, wow, you're so strong. Come up with another compliment. Come up with, that's an amazing presentation. Mm-hmm. You share me some tips on how you presented on that. And just make sure if you hear the whole assertive, aggressive, you know, really ask yourself, does that sound right? Or does it just sound like the person was just doing what they're doing? You know, again, just try and make sure you are being open and you yourself are making sure you're choosing better words to describe your admiration and the world will be a better place. Amen to that. So again, remember that everyone's race is different, but we want you to stay the course, keep running your race, and you will rise to the top. Till next time. Bye. Bye.